Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. Hello, and welcome to And That's It, featuring Juno and Derek. I'm Derek. I'm Juno, and we're best friends, and we talk about stuff. And today, we're talking about two very ambitious, if not entirely successful, movies. Uh... I did not remember the scope of the story these movies were trying to tell because it had been a couple years um, since I had seen either one of them. And I was genuinely shocked at some of the things that they tried to accomplish. And, you know, sometimes it was successful and other times not so much. Do you know, what do you feeling right now as we go into this week's episode i'm feeling more charitable than last week's episode so i'm sure i will have some nice things to say about both movies but uh generally i think we're in the decline if what i remember you telling me is correct of the quality of movies perhaps for my taste so i will carry that with me probably for the rest of the season and hope for the best (laughs) Well, there are some bright spots ahead. We still have to get to my two favorite um, movies between the series. My favorite Nightmare and my favorite Friday have not come up yet. So there's bright spots, but not many. Um, (laughs) It has been a couple of years since I've seen um, most of their other Friday movies. So I could be wrong, of course. And I would love nothing more than to be proven wrong about these movies um like i was today actually well we'll get back to that in a second something else important happened today that was very important for me personally do you know do you know what i'm talking about well the suicide squad trailer came out but also beverly cleary died so i don't know what you're talking about okay well you know beverly cleary is nice and all but the Suicide Squad trailer came out, okay? <laughs> like, I, by the way, my tank is full right now for dealing with, like, celebrity deaths because of Jessica Walter. So I'm, that's, that's the one that hit me. I don't have, I can't react to anything else uh, except for good things, <laughs> like the Suicide Squad trailer. I mean, Juno and I are no longer in our flop era. We are now thriving. Um, it's only about, four months away at this point actually and it'll be nice to be able to see this movie just like we saw the first Suicide Squad my birthday weekend maybe even in a movie theater who knows Um, because now I'm going to be able to get vaccinated on um, Tuesday awesome great well there's our August planned the whole month we'll just be hyping it up (laughs) 
<laughs> well, but especially since we both have access to, I don't know, I said access like yeah. that. Access. Um, access to HBO Max, we'll both be able to, after we see it in the theater, then just go home and watch it every day. Who knows? That's true. Um, I did tell Derek uh, on the internet that I will not be speaking to anyone who has any ill words for this film um, for any further notice. So until you have nice things to say, a vow of silence is what I must take from you. Thank you very much. No further comments at this time. Yeah. Juno is very serious about Suicide Squad and the Suicide Squad, and we respect that on this channel. Uh, who knows? We'll we might even do a special episode on it. We don't have one planned, but <laughs> it probably would be a lot of fun. <laughs> How could we not? You're right. How could we not? We did episodes on Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey. It kind of feels mm -hmm. like we have to at this point. Yeah, we have to continue the saga. Kind of speaking of continuing sagas, we have been doing this bit <laughs> when we talk about nightmare movies, <laughs> where we do Derek's Nightmares, where I sing and give you all nightmares with my singing voice. And then Juno explains why I give you that nightmare specifically. Uh, Juno, are you excited for this week's Derek's Nightmare? Um, Derek likes to let me know before we start recording what song he's going to sing. And as soon as he sang it, it has immediately ingrained itself in my short-term memory. It is all I can think about. So I don't know if I'm excited so much as hyper fixating, but I would say I'm excited, yes. And I almost messed up when I was singing it for Juno before. So I am gonna pull up the lyrics, even though I have been singing nothing else. Well, except a lot of Sondheim, but <laughs> but other than a lot of Sondheim and this song, nothing else for the last like week. Okay. Juno, are you ready? I'm so ready. Go, 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 go. Oh, Jesus. Okay. This is Derek's third nightmare. Baby, we tried to fight it. We all been there some days. Thought I needed something else and acted like I was okay. We just had to work it out, and baby, I needed space. Ain't nobody around here on your level, you're so far away. You're pouring your heart out, I'm acting like I knew. You held me so down, so down, I never grew up. I tried to find out when none of them came through And I'm stuck in the middle and baby had to pull me out Like you Like you Like you Oh, oh. I found it hard to find someone like you Like you like you send your location come through do you know what song was that and why did i sing it this week <laughs> well i believe you sing that because streets is an essential song on anybody's sex playlist and that is exactly what we got to hear at the beginning of the dream child was dan and alice's sex playlist um and so it just felt like the right way to start off this episode and i'm here for it it's also all I can think about. So thank you so much for that, truly. 
I know Juno's very worried because she just saw me take a giant swig of Coke. And the last time I did that on an episode, <laughs> it was unlistenable. <laughs> uh, but now we get to do the fun part of the episode where we bring in our guest. So I liked what we did when we, when we had Kai and Sherry on and we just let everyone plug their stuff at the end. So that's what we're going to do today. Without further ado, it's Brandon Peters. Woo! Hello. Thank you for thank having you for, me. Well, thank you for being here. Brandon, what's your history with the Nightmare movies? Do you have one? Is this her? I've never seen time? them before. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah, you can see right here. Uh, I grew up on them. So the, I like to say, tell people with my movie heritage, I was raised by Jason, Freddie, and Michael um, coming up. And I've seen them way more times. It's probably healthy. Um, to, to go through this series uh i you know my, my favorite film of all time is the original halloween but you know the nightmare and friday series hold a really close place to my hearts with them uh i my first r-rated movie in a theater was west craven's new nightmare so i do have that connection and it scared the piss out of me when i saw it uh back then and um so I've always, I've always had that, like, I've always, I think Michael's got the best overall movie. We could, it, this is my opinion. I feel free to call me rock. That's fine. Um, I think Jason has kind of the best, uh, just pick a random one and watch it movie. And then Freddie, I think has the best canon that keeps it straight, kind of feels like a through line. Um, feels like an overall story is going through where Halloween's choose your own adventure. Jason is the same thing as last time but different a little bit towards till they get to the new line era and then they start changing it up a bit but freddie's got a nice canon and uh always like you know robert england and uh the freddie stuff scared me as a kid i didn't want to go to sleep like i grew up through these so um it was they were the movies when i was a kid that i wanted to see but couldn't and then i could see um as soon as i could see like r-rated stuff where i was just watching it not caring what my parents thought I was checking them out, so. But yeah, Freddie was definitely a close place in my heart. Right. I also I had the experience growing up of not knowing the nightmare movies. I didn't see them until mm-hmm. I was in middle school. Um, okay. uh, and the first one I tried to watch was New Nightmare, and I got too scared. I had to oh, turn wow. it off. So I only made it like forty minutes into New Nightmare, and I had to turn it off. Um, and so then I, that night I ended up watching Freddy's Revenge instead. So Freddy's Revenge oh, okay. was my first nightmare movie and one of my favorites to this day, actually. Um, gotcha. uh, yeah, I'm really happy with people coming around on that one uh, over the years. Like that one and I mean, New Nightmare, was, I loved it from the get-go, New Nightmare, but I know that one's taken time to people be like, you know what? It's actually a good movie. Like, no, it always was. It always was. But there was a lot of Freddy people that were like, it's not a true Freddy movie. And it's like, eh. You made him scary again. I know he's got leather pants, but. <laughs> no, I, I that's what I appreciate about it. I mean, New Nightmare is my favorite Nightmare movie. So, like, I adore that movie. Um, but I was never, like, scared of Jason and Michael growing up. Okay. Um, even though I had a little bit more of an awareness of what those series were. I had seen, I think, Halloween 4 I saw pretty young. And okay. uh, one of the Friday movies, I don't remember which one. Even having seen all of them now, I couldn't tell you which one it was that I had seen as a kid. Um, 
I didn't find them scary, but I was terrified of Freddy and Chucky. Okay. They were the ones that really got me. Chucky to like an insane degree. My um, father once took me to see the SpongeBob SquarePants movie in movie theaters. I would have been four at the time. It was November of 2004. Okay. And, or I guess I would have been five, but still. Um, And the SpongeBob movie and Seed of Chucky came out one week apart. And so I saw the poster on the wall of a movie theater for Seed of Chucky and f- convinced myself that that was the movie we were going to see. And so I threw a fit in the movie theater <laughs> and we had to leave. Oh, wow. Like, parents were going to pull one on you. No, was, oh. Well, <laughs> I was somewhat justified in my little five-year-old brain mm-hmm. because every time my parents th- th- threw the channels, Bride of Chucky was on. Oh, gotcha every time and i'd seen probably a good 20 minutes of bride of chucky at that point right it was on all the time um so i was like it's gonna be like that again except the poster for seed really freaked me out so fair <sighs> enough not- i get that i get that vibe i you know <laughs> i've been there and then the, the cart well i used to have rental stores and stuff growing up and the cardboard cutouts they put up would be like Ooh creepy but i want to see it but it's creeping me out that type of thing yeah and then you know come uh what's 21 minus 5 16 years later yeah um i love the chucky movies they're maybe my favorite slasher franchise it's a good um, franchise actually i think it's under uh, underappreciated like how good it's still going it is even though it's had a a remake but it's still continuing i think in terms of quality overall, like mm-hmm. movie to movie, it is the most even slasher franchise yeah. because I, even Child's Play 3, which I think is boring, isn't like a bad movie. Mm-hmm. And Seed of Chucky is just so fun. <laughs> well, that, like, if you were to just pluck Child's Play 3 by itself, not so bad. If you're watching them through a marathon, it's like it, everyone yeah. gets to that point where you're about to hit with seven in Friday the 13th, where it's just like, okay, this is stale. Like it's been sitting out for a while. Right. We're just doing this again. So yeah. And then Bride of Chucky just boom, energizes it back up. And the, the last couple have been fantastic. Mm, yes. Colt and yeah. Curse were mm-hmm. great. Juno actually um, just talked about Colt last week as her slasher pick of the week. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. Because. I think it was last week. Um, it was recently. This yeah. is just like the 2020-2021 season has just been a really good time for me watching movies that everybody's like, these are incredible. And me being like, my brain has changed fundamentally now that I've watched them. It's a part of me. Like, well, we watched all of the Chucky movies for the first time. And now I'm watching Nightmare and Friday the 13th all in one go, like two movies a week. Like, I think I am <laughs> becoming a new person. I mean, we're watching four movies next week because we have mm-hmm. recordings on Tuesday and Friday. Wow. Yeah. So we're doing seven, eight, nine, ten of Friday, which is oh. going to be a wild run for you, Juno. You're At least see... it's not all the same during that. Right. Like this is <laughs> this is the Jason like vacation era of the Friday. So we're going to get to see Jason go to New York, kind of. He's going to go to hell. He's going to go to space. Um, a little bit after that, he's going to go to Ohio. So, all necessary vacation spots for sure. Yes, of course. But we're not talking about Jason this week. <laughs> we're talking about Freddy. Um, and in terms of like slashers in general, 
Uh, Juno, what did you pick this week for your favorite slasher? Mm-hmm. This week, I wanted to talk about the original Candyman. I love that movie. That movie creeped me the hell out. It was so scary. And I watched it at 20 years old. So like, not many movies like really scare me anymore. I'm more of a jump scare fool. Like those get me every time. But like this movie, I was like, this is terrifying. I don't want to go to bed. Like I am freaked out. So I figured I have to talk about it at least some point. And it came out this week. Hey, I'm very excited to hear that. Cause that's when I have that on my list of like scariest movies ever made. So that, yeah, I didn't want to look in a mirror at night for a long time. Truly, I was like, oh my God, n- nowhere is safe. Not at home, not in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what what is there to say? Candyman, great movie. I tend to find 90s horror movies. <laughs> we'll talk about that later, but um, it's not my favorite decade uh, of horror, but Candyman is a real standout. I mean, yeah, and like Scream, but like <laughs> Candyman is like a real standout for me for 90s horror. There's about know. a half decade's worth of really good stuff in there, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, my pick this week, it's actually funny that we're talking about the Child's Play movies. I am going to be, well, I don't think it's controversial for listeners our age, but for older listeners, perhaps a little controversial, probably I'm going to pick the child's play remake. I mean, to say I love this movie is um, a little bit of an understatement. It is my second favorite Chucky movie after child's play two. And it was my, it was, it made my top 10 of 2019. I gave this movie five stars. I saw it twice in theaters, like same weekend. (laughs) Like I adore this movie and I can't, (laughs) I mean, it's hard to explain why I get, I mean, one of those stars is purely because of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 of it all. And having that be Chucky's origin story is iconic and I love it. Um, I love uh Mark Hamill's performance I love the more sympathetic Chucky I think it's really interesting and it was something new to do with the character because I know everyone was worried about like well how can you like rebrand Chucky and it's like as a sympathetic robot and so that's cool um and I it's I think it's a little divisive um I mean I don't think it's like I don't even have another remake that's a good comparison because most remakes are either most people like them or most people hate them. Uh, It feels very middling with maybe a slight positive reputation, but it's also one of the movies Juno and I watched in um, like a, we did a big marathon of just random movies. It was like The Ring and Evil Dead and the Child's Play remake and Dubo Party Massacre 3. which is a perfect marathon, by the way. Highly recommend. Nothing connects any of those movies and it's glorious. Uh, and yeah, I just have a real soft spot for it. <laughs> I mean, I mean the most negative thing I can say about that movie is it wasn't supposed to be that good. Why are you that good? Why are you good? Right. Also, oh my God, gory as hell. So it's got, it's got a mean streak in it too. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Um, which I always. which I always appreciate because like the original child's play which I love and I think is a really really fantastic horror movie it's not particularly gory 
And I kind of love when uh, a remake ups that factor of it. Um, it doesn't always work, but sometimes, uh, like in this case, it really does. Mm-hmm. So Brandon, what is, it, may, it doesn't have to be your favorite slasher movie, but just a slasher movie that like is near and dear to your heart. All right. Yeah. You said this, I'm a, I'm a slasher addict. So it's like my favorite subgenre of horror. So going from its early days to, to present, I love that we're in a little mini slasher resurgence right now. Pretty happy about that. Uh, can't complain. It always comes back. Um, I kind of had, th- well, I think, have you talked, you talked about Scream 2 on one of yours, right? Someone brought that one up once. Oh, maybe. I think on one of your previous episodes, I did listen to one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, prob- someone probably did. <laughs> I'll go, I'm old. I'll give an old one, I guess. Um, the Prowler uh, from the uh, early okay. 80s. It's a, Joseph Zito and Tom Savini, uh, who this is the the film that got them Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which is my favorite Friday the 13th. I think it's the essential Friday the 13th. But this movie is really good. The, the killer in it wears like a military fatigue outfit with a kind of blanked up face uh, and it has a pitchfork. But I think it's one of Savini's absolute masterpieces of gore. Uh, the movie does lag a little bit, um, but it has some stuff that I'm just astounded they're able to pull off and look that good uh, with their kills and the, the blood and stuff. And it also stars Farley Granger from Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. So he was, you know, I like a lot of those old 80s slashers always had like this rising star and then this aged star together, you know, with like Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Pleasance, you have you know, Friday the 13th had that, Elm Street, you know, you had Saxon, Heather Langenkamp, or you could say Johnny Depp if you wanted. Um, but uh, has that going their their uh final girl and that's a kind of an amy Steele knockoff uh girl but that one's uh that one is a one i always like to get off the you know franchise ones one that never had a sequel or even they never even remade it i think some countries or some prints of it are it's called rosemary's killer but it, the real title is the prowler and i just i think zito has got a really cool touch in it so if you liked friday four go check out the prowler it's one of the, definitely one of the top uh, early 80s slasher movies there's a really good uh solid blu-ray from i think blue underground or synapse films one of the two but i am familiar ish with the prowler i haven't seen it but i i'm familiar with it in concept like it's always in my suggested um watches right. um i've just never gotten around to it but i, I do love a lot of those early 80s um slashers um a lot of the pre-nightmare ones that are really like grounded and um, right yeah kind of still ambitious but not ambitious in like this is a talking doll or this is a demon from hell or this is a guy who's gonna kill you when you're asleep um so like i love the burning um and I yeah love... they don't have the paranormal that comes with freddy and i like to yeah. i always tell people like so i was a weird kid so while everybody was watching vhs's or stuff going to like john hughes movies for their teen movies mine were all like slashers so like my my john hughes knowledge i have it it's not like strong but like i will quote one teen one-liners from the slat rando slasher movies that you're like what well, i was like well those are my teens those are, they, they all die by the end but they were my little jokers going around so those are kind of my teen movies i was a weird kid i guess so <laughs> Well, I feel like our teen movies weren't movies. They were TV shows. Yeah. I feel like once we got to, like, middle school, we were more concerned with, like, 
um, TV maybe than film, um, which um, Corey McCulloch, AKA Gory Corey and I talked about once mm-hmm. on Twitter, I think we were um, talking about how most, I think Gen Z uh, horror fans got introduced to horror through American Horror Story um, or like Scream Queens if they're maybe on the younger side. And it's just really interesting seeing like what brings different people in because I think a lot of people who grew up either in the 80s or early 90s, um, it was slashers um, because it was so, so ubiquitous. Um, And I guess, you know, we kind of had like the supernatural paranormal stuff that I think really started um, hitting off with paranormal activity and then followed by insidious, the conjuring, um, that was kind of what was coming out there. And because it wasn't as accessible a lot of the time um, to see like in theaters, um, we would turn to TV because we could just watch that. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, I grew up with a lot of rentals uh, for me and on TV, uh, I used to, there'd be Friday the 13th marathons on something called USA Up All Night, which was a, you know, there's a horror host type thing but usa up all night was kind of sleaze hosts they had a, a woman mm-hmm. named Rhonda shear she did the friday night one and uh then saturday night was gilbert Gottfried, and they talked to you before commercial breaks one time they did like a like community civic theater productions of friday the 13th on them and they'd all, they'd all be in the like french looking turtle black turtlenecks and stuff and reenacting scenes and jason would just come on and go kill 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 and they'd try to be very down but that's where i kind of would go and discover those and tape them off tv if i couldn't get the vhs was expensive then that is amazing i feel i don't know derek i think our experience with like media is different growing up my parents were never like never were like super into tv so we didn't have a lot of cable we didn't have like we had a, a prolific dvd collection and we went to blockbuster because we were in fact old enough to go to Blockbuster. Um, but like, <laughs> I didn't really watch movies growing up. It wasn't until I met Derek that like, I started regularly being invested in like series, series and like sagas of people's stories. And so like talking about what was true of our generation, I'm sort of like, uh, I definitely watched Nickelodeon online and maybe that is where my media consumption ended. Or maybe you just had like a later start into finding yeah, I passion. Was a little older and that's okay. No. Passions come at any age, truly. This is an inspirational episode now there about you finding your dream. Yeah, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can find your dream whenever. Um, <laughs> that's great. Uh, no, I, I, I hear that a lot too, you know. I feel like there was a wide range of experiences because I definitely had kids I went to elementary school with who like they never watched TV their parents didn't have one and whatnot and so they were doing their thing that was not my experience I didn't I wasn't like addicted to the TV when I was a kid because I was involved in a lot of things so I didn't have time but um I was definitely more into TV than movies and then it's interesting that that kind of switched when I got to high school um, and I was like, well, I can sit and watch one movie and then be done. <laughs> and so that was what switched for me until you get series like the Nightmare series <laughs> um, where it's not just one movie. Now you have 
like six movies and then like a kind of spin-off and then a crossover and then a remake um and so it really like um just keeps going until it stopped in 2010 but we're not Brick quite wall. there yet <laughs> and i i <laughs> it's 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 astonishing that they never made a re- sequel to that remake not because it's particularly well loved because it is very much not but because that remake was so financially successful it's ridiculous <laughs> i think they saw diminishing turns really early on it and were like "Ooh, i don't know because it had a huge drop the second weekend and they canned the friday the 13th sequel they were going to do um based off the second weekend of nightmare on elm street they all started just folding right after that and i think they probably could they didn't need to be spending the money they were spending on those um i think the cheap routes i love the blumhouse model where they cheap and people you'll find your creatives that way because they will adapt they will overcome they will be able to put out something that looks more expensive but they were putting like 20 million into these things and that's that's a bit much for wanted to okay yes (laughs) but a nightmare on elm street made like 140 million Mm dollars that's what uh, um that's what i was saying yeah no um, i so mean even, financially that one was very financially successful yes actually the the friday one was too and then like the friday one ran into other issues as well because then like you have the rights issues and that's why we haven't had another one mm-hmm. since then because that friday one was a little more warmly recepted um mm-hmm. we'll talk about there i was trying to look at yeah um so yeah it grossed 32 mil in its opening we'll we'll talk about that in two weeks when we get to the remake (laughs) um yeah these are all these two movies are definitely an example of diminishing returns in terms of box office numbers because so i did the math uh with the inflation calculator just because i wanted to see what the drop from part four to part five was and so part five had a slightly bigger budget um they went from 6.5 million to 9 million. Um, and so part five, roughly 17 million uh, today uh, in terms of budget. And it made about 42 million in today's dollars at mm-hmm. the box office, which is successful. That's fine. They'd call that, you know, making its money back. But the cheaper Dream Master, which was made for about 12 million. Uh, made like 130 something million at the box office um, and it is like the most financially successful 80 slasher like it's a big drop <laughs> it's a noticeable drop but successful enough where they made a final one yeah i mean well the thing uh, 1989 is a pinnacle year for the horror genre with the slashers because uh you have this, this movie, where things go south financially, uh, Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, continues a plummet, and then Halloween 5, uh, The Revenge of Michael Myers, they all just interest level down. And with in Freddy's case, between Dream Master and uh, Dream Child, he had Freddy's Nightmares on television, which ran for 44 episodes, and... He was making, he was on MTV a lot, doing all commercial. Like, I think people also kind of tired of Freddie too. They got him at their home. They could go, they could Saturday night, 
watches, I mean, not very good television show, though it had people like Brad Pitt, Pitt on it and stuff. But uh, it just, yeah, there was a Freddie overexposure during that time. For sure. And so it makes sense that they would try and wrap this series up then in one more installment <laughs> after five, yeah. because it, it, it was... It did still make money, but significantly less money than it was expected to, probably by studio execs. So um, two years after Dream Child, we get Freddy's Dead. But I want to start on a positive note. So let's start with Dream Child, uh, which is not a sentence most people would ever say. But when you break the movies up in this way, this is as positive as we're going to start. So I have a complicated history with this movie and that it's not that complicated. I used to not like this movie. I still don't love this movie, but I really respect it. It is so ambitious and it actually manages to like reach the heights that it's trying to reach at some points during the movie. Even if not everything blends really well together. I love the Gothic atmosphere. I love the like scope of the story um and i love how personal it is uh about alice um and that we don't try and shoehorn another new final girl in when we've just gotten to know alice for the last half of dream master um so i love lisa wilcox's performance i think she really holds this movie together um a lot is asked of her and she really delivers. And I mean, that's where we'll start <laughs> for my feelings on this. Um, other than it's a, the product is somewhat messy at some points. <laughs> where are you guys at? You with me? Okay. Uh, well, I, I've over the years and, you know, probably Stockholm syndrome ish on. Uh, this series, but I've come to really appreciate Dream Child a lot more uh, than probably when I was younger. I think it, it caps off the sort of a dream trilogy that starts with Dream Warriors, Dream Master, Dream Child, and kind of runs through that, um, the trilogy within a ongoing franchise. And this one was a rush production, so some of the story stuff, if it seems kind of, uh, it's because it was still being written as they were shooting it a bit. But I really think, I don't think the discrepancy between this one and the previous one is that large. And I think it does some things a lot better than the previous one. Whereas I think the Dream Master, to put it short, I think I, I enjoy it. But it's, it's kind of an experience movie. It's like a music video-ish thing. All the characters are really hollow in that movie. And every time Freddy comes in, it feels like someone like was playing Mortal Kombat and hit the fatality code. And it's like, doo -doo, and sets it up. It's a fun movie, though. Uh, this one, I think the characters are a little better, um, or at least what they're putting them through is a little better. It, um, In addition to Alice, what Alice has with the pregnancy, all her friends are going through the, the what am I going to do with my life after graduation kind of thing and pressure from parents. Their parent, like, you know, parents in Elm Street are always crappy all the time anyway, but these are a different kind of crappy in their expectations for their kids. Like, is it mark is his name the comic book artist that wasn't cool back in 1989 that wasn't uh like that was a uh, stop dreaming kid now it's like a oh my my child might you know that's a we should put him in art school or something like that i don't know 
it seems more acceptable now as an AV dork in the 90s, making movies, doing comics, not cool like that um, as it was. But then the, the girl who has body issues or, you know, trying to be this model and stuff, a lot of, a lot of real challenges that I think are there. And I like Alice's father and her have growth. Like they didn't just for, they didn't put her in the same back her up to being not confident anymore and trying to work back up to who she was in the last movie again. And I really like her, her and her father's relationship and the way he is with, you know, embarrassed to be around in public, but also um, stands up for her. And when she's like, are you disappointed in me? And he's like, no, no, not at all. And he's like, actually, I'd like, you know, wouldn't mind seeing a little boy running around remind you of Luke. They lost, he lost his son in the last movie. Um, and they're really close and she's got the struggle with Dan's parents. The thing with this movie is the, the thing that ruins this movie, Freddy, it's the wrong Freddy. He's yuck, 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 yuck. If you take the Freddy from nightmare on Elm street, part two, toss him in this movie. We might, well, I'm not saying masterpiece. I'm not saying one of the best Elm streets. I'm saying a better movie. Uh, you need that. They're going Gothic. They're going really dark with things. And Freddie is, you got the need for speed. Oh, and all these, all the like bon appetit bitch and all that stuff. And it's the wrong Freddie. They got the right vibe and the wrong Freddie and that, but that's who Freddie was at this time. Uh, and I feel like Stephen Hopkins is making a different movie, but they, the studio wants that Freddie cause he sells, but uh, I've been yammering and yammering because I can talk about this movie for a while, but I'll pause right here. <laughs> no, I think that feel free to speak forever. Truly, these episodes okay. are always long. We do not mind. Um, I think my experience of this is different than all of our guests, Brandon and Derek, but also you two specifically, because I've never seen these movies before. And I don't think a lot of people have watched like Friday 5 and 6. And they ran Elm Street five and six, Friday seven and eight. They ran Elm Street seven and eight. Like, so just the ordering of my experience with them is altering my perception. So last week was really rough for me and Friday, I did not love those movies. So I came into this movies, just I have a lot more grace for how unhinged and absolutely ridiculous they are. So while I fully agree, Freddie seems far too comical for the really dark tones and behaviors of everybody else in the movie. I was like, oh man, after last week and their shenanigans, anything is possible and I will accept anything. Like, it's fine. Well, we won't accept anything. We'll get to I that later. I will accept <laughs> most of the shenanigans in The Dream Child. <laughs> and I did accept them. I was like, it's okay. It's another story when it comes to um, Freddy's dead, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I really like... I like all these characters and I wanted them to be happy and successful the same way I did with um, Dream Warrior and like all of that, that Motley crew. Like I just wanted them to be like real adults and get to be real people. And so watching them die, I was like, God damn it. Again, I don't know what I was expecting, but man, it sucks. And I think that that like connection with the characters really makes me a lot softer on my criticisms of the movies. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much where I am too. Goofy Freddy. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't call this Freddy Goofy Freddy because we will get Goofy Freddy in. Oh yeah, we, in a we have that. Yeah. <laughs> but like the the kind of comical Freddy. Um, I mean, I've said in both of our previous episodes that I prefer Scary Freddy to Funny Freddy. 
always. <laughs> but I I did, I will admit, I did find a lot of his quips funny, but I agree that it didn't feel like it meshed as well with the tone that this movie seemed to be going for. And the tone of this movie, fatty or not, is still pretty serious. Um, like this isn't Dream Master where all the characters are also kind of cartoonish. Um, and it, it just, um, so there is a, there's an issue of Freddy not blending into his own movie which is part of it, and like the Rush production, which is also part of it. But I do want to shout out um, everyone who works, like the crew and everything on this movie, because it looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has the best effects for the most part of the entire series. I mean, it does have the biggest budget, but um, like the sets are incredible. The scene where they're in the stairs that looks like they um, took them from Labyrinth, um, and they're all walking on the stairs and oh, yeah. they're going in all different directions. That was great. And all of um, everything in the asylum looked really cool. Um, one effect that really stand out to me is when Yvonne is on the diving board and then it breaks apart and becomes a claw. Like that looks super cool. So I appreciate um, I appreciate this movie for at least visually, really going all in on its um, gothic ambitions. Yeah, to piggyback off that, I, I, I'm a sucker for matte paintings, and this had some gorgeous matte paintings on there. And I think with the, the effects are really good, and they were just chopped down a bunch. This is when the late 80s, when they were MPA was coming down hard on these things. But, I mean, the, the motorcycle kill was, ooh, it still looks like it hurts. And I think they were, some of the gore feels like they felt like Hellraiser breathing down their neck, like, because that was an up and coming franchise. So when Freddy gets resurrected, it kind of reminded me of when Frank comes to life in the house in uh, the first Hellraiser movie. Uh, There's a bit of Tim Burton, Beetlejuice, Pee Wee Playhouse influence on there as well, because there's some stop motion stuff that's really cool. And, uh, like yeah just some of the like the the dinner table kill or whatever kind of felt like a the, the dinner scene in beetlejuice a bit as well but i was yeah and kudos on stephen hopkins for taking this job and going crazy because he as admittedly said that uh, he didn't he wishes he had more time to be with the actors but he was running from set to set to set and they were building sets and having to shush people because they were shooting not too far over that's how rushed and crazy the production was Hopkins, I mean, he made a career. He'd go on to he'd do Predator 2. He'd do uh, Tales from the Crypt and uh, did a lot of 20 episodes of Show 24. He did make Lost in Space, the, um, that, uh, that movie from the 90s with uh, Matt LeBlanc. But it's, uh, yeah, but no, I, I agree that design is great. Like, technically speaking, it's amazing that as rushed as it was and stuff that it looks really good. I also appreciated that like we got a nightmare movie with locations because for the most part the other nightmare movies have been kind of confined to like a couple main places like Dream Master a lot of that movie takes place in high school and 
all of Dream Warriors takes place in an asylum. Um, and like, you know, the first nightmare, a lot of that's taking place in the Elm Street house. Same with the second one. Um, well, the Elm Street house and then a pool party. And so it was great to see like characters living in a world <laughs> kind of. Um, so that's, I like that it differentiates itself in that way from the other ones. Um I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I do know why, because I've been saying why, but I really came away much more positively on it than I have in the past, which is, I think, always a great experience because, I don't know, hating movies isn't fun. <laughs> like, I don't love, I mean, I can talk about movies I dislike and we will be, but it, it's like watching them and kind of trying to consume them is a lot less fun than just movies that are flawed admittedly um i think this is a very flawed movie but that i still find endearing um i mean it's a movie i'm not going to die in a hill for but i will defend that it's not just some you know extreme bottom of the barrel thing but i think also at the time it came out the, the series was trying to grow with its audience so if you saw nightmare one back when you were like 16 something like that by the end of the 80s maybe the more adult type story was there for you, but I don't think they were ready or wanting a story about a teenage pregnancy, abortion stuff, battle. I think it was just a little too heavy material for their, you know, stupid teen characters. Uh, and, they, and it wasn't maybe what people were looking for. Whereas you go to four and it's just Freddie's greatest hits through a movie. And it's all the cool music on the radio all this like really heavily stylized you know stuff and it's a fun movie don't get me wrong but i'm just looking at stuff that dream child which follows it was always like oh it drops off so hard i'm like it's not that hard it's just a different different movie afterwards yeah i feel like it'd be really challenging to like follow up that really high note with a movie that is like universally as beloved and i think that you know under the constraints that they had they did a good job I didn't hate this movie. I think this is something that we talked about in the werewolf season as well. I didn't love everything the characters did. And sometimes I have a hard time when we're watching movies, divorcing the idea that I don't like the movie or I don't like the choices that the characters are making. Because I just wanted to hit Alice. It was like every single time she would say just enough to the adults that would make make her seem absolutely bonkers bananas but then not follow up with any more further information. And I was like, if you just kept your mouth shut, everything would be easier for you. Everything would be easier. Alice in this movie's done giving Fs. I think that's part of her, her thing. Like, they're not going to believe, I've been through this. They're not going to believe me. It's fine. <laughs> She's like, you can know anything, but like only one piece of information, but I'll tell uh, anybody anything. Yeah. Her boyfriend, Dan's a lot better. He's not here long, but he's a lot better performance and written wise than he was in the last movie absolutely he becomes a real person instead of a himbo i think he has a similar amount of screen time between both movies because we just watched dream master Mm -hmm. he is barely in that thing he's in the beginning when she calls him a major league hunk (laughs) he shows up for a little bit after a couple of deaths i guess the time loop seems long but yeah 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 (laughs) and then he shows up for the time loop at the end so like he really you know he, he's out of the story pretty early on, but I actually think he has more to do in this movie. <laughs> so. No, no, he's, he's well-rounded. I mean, they're all pretty well. I mean, we see them at their places of where they eat. We get to see each of their homes, places of work. 
um, right. what they do, what they want to be talking about Dan, like after he died. And then it lingers on the one friend that isn't Alice for a bit. Like that's, it's like not just forgetting. And we move on to the next kill. Like they're really concerned about each other. I think having a smaller cast of characters really helped this movie. I think if they had tried to do, cause there's what, like 10 teenagers that we're supposed to care about in dream master because it's the surviving dream warriors and then alice and all of her friends um it would have been a bit much but like there's five there's mm-hmm. five characters in this movie essentially six if you count freddie yeah and that really works and i think that's why this movie didn't fail like on a creative level yeah. um and it also probably made it easier for them when they were doing this rush production to only have to worry about where to place these six chess pieces rather than like everyone because like characters have um, continuity in the movie where we're not just like cutting away from them and not seeing them for 20 minutes and coming back and now they're dead. Right. And uh, in addition to stuff we haven't brought up at all, like it, it adds to the mythology background. Uh, just like a, not not like a heavy dose of it, like we're gonna get in the next one, but just a nice light touch of going back to the Amanda Kruger thing, like the Dream Trilogy. We start, we had Amanda Kruger, Amanda Kruger, boom, bring it back and have a little bit more with that, um, which is a nice little feel added depth to it. I totally agree. And I think story-wise, these middle installments are um, the most interesting, um, like from Dream Warriors through Dream Child, because um, there's the Amanda Kruger bookend. So we're learning more about Freddy. Um, They have the most interesting teenagers in the series. Um, We talked about Dream Warriors, obviously a lot, and we showered it with praise, rightly so. Yeah. Um, We decided actually during that episode that we um us and our two guests kai and sherry crowned dream warriors the best 80s slasher um which we all took a minute to think about and then we were like no yeah it probably is the best 80s slasher um and that really set the foundation for an interesting story going forward um and it's cool that like the Nightmare series tries to do so many things that some other series don't try and do um, with such ambition. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I was going to say the Halloween movies, but I guess five and six really do try something different. Um, and like three, obviously. Um, I guess the series that probably stays the most static is Texas Chainsaw. But um I appreciate just how they're like, we'll try anything. Yeah, definitely. I like, I think it makes it, the thing that I like about the Nightmare series so far better than the Friday the 13th series is that like, because there's so many different kinds of deaths, each death is interesting. Like that they throw Mark in an actual comic book and that Greta becomes a doll. Like it, I don't wanna say it's fun watching them die, but like I am engaged while they're dying. Whereas sometimes with just like straight slasher, it's just like axe in the head, shot through the eye. Like it's a little too rote. And it the unhingedness of the Nightmare series, especially this episode or this movie, I think just like keeps people engaged. I think if you had never seen a Nightmare movie and you watched this one, you would assume they would probably be a comedy. But also you'd definitely be like, 
dying in this movie is like an event. It is a spectacle. Well, like, that's kind of fun. It's, it's with Freddie. It's the most personal of kills. He's in entering your dream. It's you and him, and he has all your thoughts and everything, and he can craft a kill that fits you. And it's super personal. And mm-hmm. he always, you know it's always him in your face and you know jason just okay who's next is you know he chats with you he taunts you he puts people from your life to to taunt you as well and it's 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 very pretty he's invading your space there's nowhere to run because you're in your dreams and it is yeah it's do you like you said a very an event every time like i said the last one if you watch it with the mortal Kombat at mindset i don't know if you guys play mortal Kombat or whatever i haven't played one in a long time but there's the fatalities and they were always like a music would cue like and the lights would dim and change that's every kill in friday four that happens when he walks in but that one yeah plays as an event um the, the the other ones are a bit more sly with it like but yeah, it's, and this one, you don't even know, like this one adds the dynamic of crap. The kid in the, the womb is, is dreaming. So we're not safe. We're like, if it happens in his, his dream, doesn't matter. So some of these are not even maybe their own dreams are dying. So Juno texted me about that. And I want to get, I'll get to Juno's thoughts that she texted me on that in a moment. But first I do want to go over some of the stuff they cut out because it's a little unfortunate. Um, this movie for me flew by. <laughs> I was watching it, <laughs> especially in comparison to Freddy's Dead. I, I was like, the, um, when after, right after Greta's death, I was like, wow, she died. It's only been like, we're only 20 minutes into the movie, and we were well past 40 minutes into the movie <laughs> when Greta died. <laughs> like, it was well into the movie, and I, I swore that we had barely even left the first act. Um, so that was a fun part of the experience for me was uh, having it just really fly by. But knowing what could have been um, the even more graphic deaths, particularly Greta's, um, that they really cut down. Um, and actually they changed how she dies. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had a Fangoria with the original picture, with pictures of her original death in it right, from back I, in the I, day. I've seen like production pictures of the original death, which is so horrifying. And what, so, what, what was it? What was the original death? <laughs> so I'm going to go in um, order. So I'm going to do Greta last. But in Dan's, the difference is he dies the same way, but it's a lot gorier. You see like cables running under his skin. Um, like his face is more gr- like his face tearing off is way bloodier. Um, that's basically it for Dan. Mark's death um, originally um, ends with a decapitation um, that they cut here. And then Greta's death, um, rather than just stuffing her face, um, he feeds her her own intestines. And so she chokes to death on her own intestines. And it's wildly gory. Um, But they were going to give us an X rating, so they had to cut it, which is... It is what it is. Would have been an R now. <laughs> yeah. And oh, it's unfortunate. They released the uncut version with those deaths on VHS mm-hmm. and Laserdisc, but they've never released it on DVD or Blu-ray. And I really would like them to release I'm, the gore cut of this movie. I'm hoping. So Shout Factory now has their deal with Warner Brothers mm-hmm. and they just put out the Friday the 13th set last year. 
now that New Line is owned by Warner Brothers, I'm hoping this year or maybe the year after they will do the Elm Streets like they did to the Friday the 13th. I would and Halloween previously. So love to get a fr- uh, not a Friday um the, the a Elm Nightmare yeah. box set. I would it would be a cherished possession. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah. Um, the the Phantom Prowler scene, the one of the most astounding things in it, like you'd look at it today and be like, oh, they messed with color timing. No, they painted that whole thing black and white. They like they did not change that in post production. That was all painted, and only the guy in the costume didn't get painted. The Phantom Prowler. So like the Super Freddy, he was painted. The warehouse got a makeover, being turned to gray and black and white, and they like totally overdid that set. And so they're just it is as it was shot. There was no changes to the chemicals and the film stuff later on or anything like that. That was just astounding. Just to go yeah. with your beautiful production design. That's amazing. The dedication. Wow. Yeah. And while that's a silly kill, like that's a pretty like it's an ambitious the, the ambition there. So it's silly, but it's like, whoa, they went, they did like the take on me cartoon into the thing effect. And then it was just visual. It fit the character. I, you know what? I, I'll give it props. You know, it didn't scare me, but heck, it was. I was someone I didn't want to see get killed, and it was an entertaining sequence that looked like visually. Yeah, if there any of the slashers could have the best visuals of all time, it's always Freddy because you can. It's a dream. You can do what you want. You can go crazy, which is why that remake was disappointing. <laughs> right. Freddy's um... friend should be best friend should be CGI. Just saying. <laughs> Um, and also, well, Juno noted this, uh, Freddie long arms returned very briefly, um, in his birth scene, but Juno had another more pressing, um, observation about this movie that I don't think I agree with because of what they have to do to end the movie. But, um, she did text me, um, and she said, hot take, the dream child is pro-life propaganda. This is my conspiracy theory. And now, Juno, where are you now? In retrospect, that is incorrect. But I'm just saying, the way that they talk about Alice's baby and the way that she, like, reveres this infant that is arguably murdering people, like, unintentionally, but, like, is facilitating the death of many people, feels like it could be used by pro-lifers to argue that all life is sacred, even if life is killing killing other people. Um, my opinion has changed post-movie, but at the time, I think I was maybe halfway into the movie when I texted you that. Just really felt like pro-life <laughs> propaganda, honestly. Which um, I get. I, I do think it's interesting because they, they um, Mark floats the idea of aborting the baby to mm-hmm. her, but the reason she doesn't go through with it is because she's met her baby, but as a child. I am so amused by Jacob. First of all, he's just Winnie the Pooh in it. Like he's all <laughs> over the place, no pain. But not little, he's not a little kid. He's like maybe eight or nine. And like at that point, my parents were like, you need to put pants on when you go places. But he's just like unabashed. He's intelligent. He knows right from wrong. He has a moral code. Honestly, I'm saying like she's met her baby. Her baby has a, a real wife to her. Seems like pro-life propaganda. Seems like her baby already existed. Preconception. He would later go on to annoy a bunch of paleontologists at a dig. <laughs> um, so that's my favorite part about all of this. Um, much like uh, little Dylan in New Nightmare. Mm-hmm. 
is also Nico. the pet cemetery kid. Um, I love that uh, Jacob is also the Jurassic Park kid. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so that's a fun connection. And I, I do see what you mean, because they're like, on can unborn babies dream? And then, yes. Um, <laughs> although it's not like exactly the same and I don't feel like they did a good job of well I don't think they had to do a good job of relaying that honestly because the the rules of this franchise yeah I buy it it makes sense um for Freddy he has to try something new and at this point what else does he have I mean he has kind of an obsession with Alice and so she got rid of him so he wants revenge yeah and so her um being pregnant and having this new kind of vessel for him to come back in because I think he really wants to be born like actually born um kind of ties it back into Freddy's revenge in a little bit where Freddy isn't technically getting revenge on anyone in that movie but he wants like a, a physical vessel so he can get revenge um and here it feels like Freddy really wants to be born <laughs> Well, it seems like his his original birth was not excite. I my favorite part from that scene is that the like nun slash nurse helping is like, sister, it's a creature of God. <laughs> it's not a baby. It's well, she's like it's not a child. No, because she saw its face. <laughs> I mean, but it's kind of cute. It looks like a little pink golem. Yeah, sure. Um, also, we know that's not what Freddy came out of the womb looking like. Like, <laughs> we know how he got his scar. We know how he got his scars. Um, <laughs> like, so it's so funny that they have this, which I think, again, plays into the idea that, like, Freddy wants to be born anew because that's what it would look like, probably, <laughs> if Freddy tried to be born now. Like, he's so into that guys that it would just be everything he tried to touch and it's really interesting having freddy essentially be the protagonist of this movie not that he's the good guy but that and it's his motivation we're following he has like the strongest stake out of all of this because everyone like the stake is their lives but like doubly so for him um and so that's really kind of an interesting angle to the whole thing um <laughs> but then you also have the scene where like um dan's parents come and talk to her mm-hmm. and um i think it could read really shitty of them but i honestly think they're just grieving and don't really know what to do i don't think well the, once the, the doctor advised them it wasn't they didn't come on their own the, the doctor who is the guy yes. remember the wizard the Fred Savage movie. Did you ever see that with the no. Super Mario Three? He plays this weird like guy hosting this video game tournament. And he's like Super Mario Three, but he's the doctor here. Uh, but yeah, they came on his advice. So I what an asshole! So angry. I this year more than any other year, I have googled multiple times when HIPAA laws were introduced because things just keep happening in medical situations that I'm like that should be illegal. In fact, that is now illegal. So when they were like, yeah, Doctor Michael called us i was like take his take his degree take his license fuck that man like he's the worst i hate him he's the real well, villain of the dream child for real 
medical professionals. But my, my point was just, <laughs> I don't think they would have pursued legal action once that baby was born. It was my only point here. But yes, <laughs> you're right. It wasn't their idea. Um, and, you know, you're also right. We have another instance of a medical professional being dangerously unhelpful. Um <laughs> And you know what? It doesn't have the same ramifications as it did in Dream Warriors, but it is still kind of a theme. And I think it's because they, none of the parents were like, not that the parents were great people, but none of the parents were like endangering their children to Freddy in this movie in the way they have in the past. Um so we still we still needed that like authority figure and because this whole movie the time that it set these characters lives like they just graduated high school having the parent be that authority figure loses a little bit of weight now because you know that's a symbol of like um growing up and kind of becoming your own person i also felt the graduation scene read very honestly um like there were vibes I got and I was like, yeah, that's just, this is kind of how I felt at graduation, um, particularly as it was winding down. Um, and you even just have that scene of like, um, her dad asks her if he, she wants him to drive her to work. And she's like, no, it's just across the park because like, yeah, she still has life to go to. Like graduating high school is both this huge moment and also just a moment. I like the picture they take and that football recruit guy sits down <laughs> in it like... Right. It was so funny that he's there. And the funny thing is, so Mark's dad is all about Greta's mom. Just like Mark is all about Greta. Like, it's kind of funny. Like he's in there and he's like in the picture, like, hey, to her. Well, also part of that was because she was trying to like sit in front of the kids. Yeah. And I so yes. But he's also like literally holding her back because she would um, steal all the focus in that picture if no one held her back. Apparently they cut a lot from, there's a lot more graduation stuff, but they, I heard that they cut like significant, like minutes of footage. I was loving it. I was there. It was, it reminded me of the, like the graduation at the beginning of say anything as well. It kind of read that mm-hmm. way. Just, you know, kids screwing around, having fun. And I could use more of it. Cause I like these characters and seeing their friendships. Cause this is the weird slasher thing where all our friends and family were killed last year, but in the, in the, the following year, we've made the best friends ever in that time. You know, we got this whole new group that you didn't know last time, but we are the bestest. Okay, we're really crazy. So it's just a thing you have to give the movie because we need new teens to show right. up. And yeah. yeah, no, exactly. I brought Derek. And I, I don't know if you remember. I brought this up last episode that at the end of the movie, I was just like, I just have more to be awake for now that she's with Dan. And in this movie, literally a year after her brother and their whole cohort of friends have died, she's like best friends with these people. She's going to Paris with Dan, who she met a year ago technically like it just feels like she cries at like and mourns these people significantly more than she mourned her friends in the last movie that might be out of necessity just because like she needed to like save the day the last time and now she like has people who maybe can help her but it did read a little funny that she was like sobbing over dan and when her brother died she was like no time to be sad gotta save everybody when her brother died she let out a scream so powerful it broke all the glass in their school one screen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we were also much less focused on Alice in the last movie because we still had Kristen as the false protagonist for part of it. So here, I think it's a 
a, a double thing where yes, <laughs> she does seem to care about these people more, but also we're just spending more time in Alice's perspective. So the relationship feels more real. And we do have at some point, unfortunately, <laughs> we do have to talk about the other movie we watched this week, which is Freddy's Dead. I will let other people speak first on this movie. I would like to start it as positively as possible. Brandon, do you do you have nice things to say? Do you want to I, go? First? I mean, I I can say nice things about it easily, but it's, um, I guess I'll I'll in the the original Freddy canon. This is my least favorite i'll say least favorite not worst I, I would rather watch this than the remake um i've watched this a lot this one i always open mind give it a chance but uh, i i do think uh, one thing i like about it rachel talalay the director she started as like an office person on the first movie answering phones at new line and worked her way all the way up to director she beat out peter jackson for this job so um, he had a script that I've been wanting to like read for years called the dream lover. Like it's one of my biggest oddities. Like, I just want to see that. So she starts here and she's got, I have to say directorially, she's got vision. She's really ambitious. This doesn't feel like any of the other ones. I mean, part of it, we're two years after the last one and we're already into grunge nineties, like somehow it just really fast. And She's got she's got a lot of odd sensibilities. She's really into Twin Peaks. She likes John Waters, and she'd go on to a much better career. Um, she kind of got put in movie director jail, but she did a movie called Ghost in the Machine after this and Tank Girl. And but she's had a really awesome TV career. Like she's directed um, every two part season finale of the Peter Capaldi era of Doctor Who, which uh, Hell Bent is an amazing episode. Um, she's got you know, a lot of good stuff with her. So Dr. Falls, just good stuff. She's also done Sherlock, Riverdale, the Arrowverse. Bah. But this is her start. This is her as a director. She's moved up every movie and she like really earned this thing. She's focusing. She's like, all right, this is Freddie's goodbye. So let's, let's let Robert go crazy. They do. I think it's got some really creative set pieces that maybe not necessarily work together. The Carlos death is pretty cool. I really, the, the ear, the hearing aid one, uh, I, I think visually there, there's some, just some weirdness that I like. I don't know if the whole movie goes together. This movie does as short as it is feel long. Uh, cause it gets to a point. I think when, uh, the kid, uh, the dies on the bed of spikes, I'm like, Oh, we're, Oh, we still got a lot to go. Okay. Uh, barely halfway into the movie. Yeah. He's, he, it's another, these, this series really likes doing false protagonists mm -hmm. but we do not stay with any of them as long as we stay with john doe which and dream we, child we stay with one yes and also um freddie's revenge we stay with jesse the whole movie right um like so those are like kind of the two exceptions here john doe who we know nothing about mm -hmm. <laughs> like Nancy, uh, or not uh, Tina, I mean, our false protagonist from the first movie, yep. at least it feels like we kind of know her. Um, yeah. And then, like Kristen, we had a whole movie. Um, when well, she Nancy in part Master. three as Nancy, well. Nancy, yeah. we, we know her. So, yeah, John Doe, who we know nothing about. And he's not that great. Like, he's no, kind of hard boring. to follow. And 
I, I will say also, it doesn't make none of his story makes sense. But no, well, he was originally written as Alice's child grown up, but they dropped that, and he's way too old to be Freddy's child. Like, I'm not buying it at all. We, and you jumped into the future, so we could have fanfic Elm Street stuff from Part Five to Freddy's Dead all we want, uh, and you know, make him the '80s and stuff. But uh, this movie does do something it kicks off something not only like uh, not only does this like tell leprechaun everything it wants to do but um this is the this starts with this the slashers because they're all going downhill at this point the true origin story you didn't know and didn't really want to movies because right after this juno you're gonna watch jason goes to hell they do this Halloween 6 does this. Texas Chainsaw the Next Generation does this. Hellraiser Bloodline does this. It goes this incredible backstory that was never true that tries to make it some kind of mythological person when it was like, yeah, it just comes in your dreams and slashes you. There's got to be more to it. Why are we always at Nancy's house? Well, we're going to tell you this time because I guess Freddie used to live there, right? Which also doesn't make sense. Nope, but it, it, they're trying to answer why the hell that house every damn movie if it wasn't even Freddie's. And there's a lot of overdone. He's got a daughter now, uh, and it's they all will do this. And this is the one that starts it. And it's like, I guess you're out. I guess you need to to tell why everything happened from the beginning. And it, it I just want the guy coming in my dreams. Add a little to his stuff every time. But this is goes all in. Uh, you know, Robert Ings having a blast. Some of the, I mean, the the gag with mention of the bed of spikes kind of funny watching freddie go i wish he would have missed it that would have been the funny part if he would have wheeled the bed of spikes out and then the guy landed on the side of it and then freddie turned to the camera and say something stupid funnier joke but uh when i was a kid growing up this was the first new one after i'd caught up to all of them and i I ran it on vhs and uh, so i didn't get the 3d and the theater experience that this one had but um yeah it was uh, everybody talked about the the Power Glove Nintendo Kill. That was the big thing to talk about. And it's we we were talking about that before we started recording because as soon as he brought the Power Glove in, it's like, what are you talking about? Um, there's a lot of things that Freddy says in this movie that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the one that sticks in my mind the most is it's traveling time because. What does that mean? I mean, I understand literally what he's saying um, and that he's going into um, Maggie's mind so he can travel, but like it plays it like it's some sort of catchphrase of his or something and it's not. And then you have like, should have brought your power glove. And it's like, what? <laughs> um, it's like an adult it, writing what they think kids say. Like There are two, two Freddy lines in this that I think are good. Apart from um, the Wizard of Oz thing at the beginning, which I like, but um, that is good. Uh, the two lines, which I wrote down, if I can open my notes app, the two Freddy lines that I think are actually funny is um, <laughs> when he's playing the video game and he says, great graphics. <laughs> and then at the end of that same sequence, at the very end, when he says, wow, beat my high score that's i wouldn't say i laughed but i kind of chuckled okay i'll give you that one yeah it's just that a lot of his one-liners don't make sense in this one and that's why i feel like they 
they lose me. You didn't like, like a nice hearing from you, Carlos. At that point, <laughs> Freddy has lost a lot of goodwill for me at that point in the movie. So I just feel like it could have been more clever. That's one. Um, even though I, I like that sequence, mm-hmm. mostly. <laughs> um, no, they play with the sound, they do, and you're like, oh no, his head's gonna. Oh, which actually, that's the biggest compliment I have for this movie. Soundscape is great. Love all the stuff with the hearing aid um, and the way the movie will go silent for uh, like a couple seconds. Great. Love it. Um, I agree about Rachel Talalay as um, a directorial talent. I think she has it. I think it's clear from the way this movie is shot that she has skill. So... I don't think that it's like a case of like she really like messed it up or anything. I think there are many people to blame for this movie, probably. And at least some of them are studio executives. I am positive because I read so there are two original stories that are one is kind of similar to this and that's the one that features Jacob as a now 15 year old mm-hmm. um, and then the other one with Peter Jackson which sounds really interesting sounds really cool yeah um, so do you know the basis of that story is that like teens are no longer afraid of Freddy so they'll like take like sleeping pills to go to sleep and try and meet Freddy and stuff well they try to like beat him up and he's yeah. like this old old decrepit Freddy yeah so he because no one's scared of him anymore like it's um which sounds incredible. I mm. Oh, and there's the cop, there's a cop in that story who's in yeah. a coma. So he's eternally asleep and cannot do anything to escape Freddy. And Freddy it's... like accidentally kills a kid and starts building his confidence back and he yeah. goes after this cop who's in a coma. It's truly I would if they ever decide to make another nightmare movie, I would love for them to take a crack at that script. Because it feels like the right kind of story for now. Um, it feels somehow even more relevant than it would have been in the 90s. So I would love for them to make that. And then, of course, the other one is um, Jacob kind of takes the John Doe role-ish. It's not exactly the same. I actually read the entire script last night. Oh, wow. um, it's not great. It's miles better than this. But it would still probably be my least favorite they have the halfway house um, aspect from like a new beginning. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and they have the kind of um, like troubled teens aspect of it. Um, Jacob isn't that well written. Unfor- so, you know, he's kind of like boring protagonist syndrome. Although it's cool to have a final boy. I do like that. But yeah some of it works some of it doesn't it works a lot more than this it's a lot more streamlined than this movie is so everything feels like one story um and it feels tonally like one movie whereas this movie you have three movies you have leaving springwood coming back to springwood leaving springwood again and the fact that each section feels so much longer than the one before it is not a great sign. Well, Freddie only kills boys in this movie too. Did you notice that? Well, and his wife. Oh, and his, well, yeah, a flashback, right? Yeah. But yes, I did notice that, which I thought was interesting. And 
something I want to say. I, I'm glad he didn't kill What's-Her-Face. I don't know her name. The one who's not me. Leslie Dean? No. Uh, well, I don't remember. That's the actor. That's the actor's name. Yeah. But she's Tracy. Tracy, yes. I think Tracy is a great final girl for this series. In fact, so good, I don't think they need Maggie at all. <laughs> they could have killed her off. Like, Frankly, I don't see why Tracy and Maggie have to be separate characters. I mean, to have two women is nice. Great. Because you don't ever want a situation where it's just like a one-woman movie. But they have the same issues like they're both girls with daddy issues like abusive daddy issues so it feels like it could have been one character and then they had a different teen girl maybe um and maggie's kind of confusing (laughs) as a as a character as well Mm -hmm. um she's supposed to be like a psychologist or like a gp or what is who is she what does she do well, I don't know that much about therapy. I mean, I I know enough about therapy. I don't know that much about therapists and classification. Uh, so I can't tell you. Like ther- she's supposed to be their therapist? Mm-hmm. So then who is, what is Kelly's job? And what is Doc's job? Kelly is the white guy with the beard. Kelly is a caseworker. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Doc what, what, is a therapist as well. He's just another therapist? He's both another therapist. He's her, her BFF in the office. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're I, both... I, mean, I love Doc. I would watch a whole movie with just him discovering things about dreams like that. Always, he was so interesting. The late, the late great Yafet Koto playing playing him. He yes. went against an alien and he went against Freddy. And he oh. truly does a great job. Like <laughs> he believes, and so he can do anything. Right, it, it, and honestly, I think he gives the best performance in the movie. Oh, easily. Um, he definitely does his part to hold it down. Um, I also think this is Robert Englund's weakest performance as Freddy, which I do think has something to do with the writing. I think it's the worst written Freddy. Even with Dream Child having the wrong Freddy, like at least his lines are good and they make sense. And that's the important part. For Freddy to be funny, he has to be clever. Mm. But it's just all over the place in this movie. Like, I think that if they wanted to lean into Freddy as father figure, they should have just done that rather than like in the last 30 minutes been like, here you go. Also, the- <laughs> that is true. It does come really late. The movie should maybe have not been as goofy. Mm-hmm. I think if they wanted to tell that story about Freddy, I think it needs to take itself a little more seriously than this movie does. Well, it opens up and you're just on the wrong like note, literally song wise, you have some like Goo Goo Dolls song that just doesn't make you feel like, well, I'm about to watch a scary movie. Like it's a kind of a, not really a, it's between a hard rocker and a ballad type song. And you're like, am I getting into like the, a horror movie right now or it just doesn't You're right it all sets a weird vibe and then you have the airplane dream sequence which has one good line and it's when the old woman next to john turns to him and says don't be such a pussy yeah, that is funny <laughs> when they keep playing that that uh i can't think of what the the movement's called the orchestral stuff that just does not scream serious horror at all like not that they're going for that i think they're right. at the point where people don't find freddy scary anymore so let's just goof off and and creep them out with some gore 
And then they do a Wizard of Oz sequence. I loved it. <laughs> I will admit, of the goofy stuff in this movie, the Wizard of Oz sequence actually kind of feels worked. like they've earned it after from from three to three to this it's progressed to there like also freddie impersonating the wicked witch makes a lot of sense so that at least felt in character for freddie the wily the wily coyote stuff not as much um even if robert england does his all so it does come up pretty comical when he does it but it, it doesn't always land because it just doesn't necessarily feel like Freddy at that point. It feels like a parody of Freddy, and which is kind of what this movie is. But and he's driving a bus again. That's yeah, that that was a <laughs> that was a nice callback. Um, but other, th- uh, I'll just clearly air about my real feelings for this movie well you know one of the good things about this movie right that you can say is positive is after this one you get to talk about new nightmare so oh i'm so excited that's to a talk positive about that's nightmare. a positive about freddy's dead also i'm gr- great that this goofy movie is terrible so that it could make a really good really dark nightmare movie again um so new nightmare is kind of everything i want it works in that movie's movie. favor that this one is this way like oh, it really yes, does completely um but i will just say last week juno admitted that friday the 13th a new beginning was her least favorite movie that we've watched for the podcast but now we have come to mine it is freddy's dead i hate this movie (laughs) i hate this movie so much i think it is the worst movie that we have watched for the entire podcast and i'm including friday the 13th a new beginning and underworld evolution in that like i hate this movie just so everyone's aware. It's one of the, in the, the lexicon of horror villains and slashers, it is in that realm of the bottom of the barrel entries. That's like, oh, the lowest. Of the and low. I don't, even as much as I dislike some of the Friday movies, I don't think any of them are worse than this movie. That blows my mind. I, I don't know. I, I, I hate A New Beginning so much. And I hate it more than I hate this movie. I don't have the same kind of vitriol that you do towards this film. Do I think it's good? No. Do I think it's pretty bad? Absolutely, I do. Could I probably watch it again? Yeah. I don't think there's any situation in which I will willingly watch A New Beginning all the way through. One day, you're going to go into an outhouse and someone's going to serenade to you and it's all going to come back around. While I'm shitting, I don't want that. You know what? And that's the difference for me. A new beginning is a mess, but at least the jokes are funny. Oh, it's entertaining <laughs> as hell. It's so wild. Um, but yeah, this one I don't get that from. At all. Yeah, like... and that's really what sets this so low. Like, if we were to rank all 20 movies we're talking about this season, Freddy's Dead is number 20, and it's not close. With the remake. You're yes. Really th- Wow. I'm including the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street in this ranking. That's an argument worth having, but I'm just fascinated okay no like like, listen the nightmare remake is number 19 right and i would still rather watch that multiple times than have to re-watch freddy's dead i find this movie atrocious but now that we've gotten out of the way we could continue having a conversation about it um i think one of the things sorry to interrupt uh, but go ahead go ahead I was just going to say, this movie feels 10 hours long. It is 89 minutes 
and it feels 10 hours long yeah that's that's it oh i was gonna say when you so like dream child is always a you know people fight over whether this or dream child's better or something like that but i've always found that when um if you are watching both of these for with a critical eye or you have to discuss them in a group and you're you know taking your notes for your points dream child comes out so much higher because you're like oh wow at a core level it's really trying to do all these things freddy's dead you're like i don't know what the are they caring what are they doing like it's there's a there's a difference when you when you look at it more um within an uh, like an analysis of like i have to write something on it or i have to um really kind of pay more attention take notes be able to you know have some knowledge on it dream child starts soaring up a lot higher than freddy's dead if you want to not care watch through i don't know maybe that's where someone might like freddy's dead because it's not caring as much it's not as deep well i have to shout out to put my mind in people i have to shout out twitter friend andrew jara who has been very open about his love for freddy's dead like love genuine love so i do have to admit that people out there love this movie Mm -hmm. i'm just not one of them i don't think i ever will be because this was a rewatch for me and i think i liked it less yeah well i mean every nightmare friday halloween texas every they all it's true it's someone's favorite sequel someone someone somewhere it's one of their favorite sequels it's true literally all of these movies have people that love them i mean as we found out i i tweeted that i was so (sighs) hesitant to rewatch a new beginning because i have famously hated that movie and many people came into my mentions to tell me how one of them including brandon came into my mentions to tell me how excited i should be because i didn't make it clear it wasn't the first time watch but they were like you should be so excited this movie is so entertaining and i had to be like oh no i pushed it off till the last (laughs) second because i hate this movie and I don't hate a new beginning anymore. I can confidently say that after giving it three years to come <laughs> back and rewatch it, I'm now in the meh category on it. It is still my least favorite Friday movie, probably, but I, I am much softer on it. The same happened to Dream Child. Same did not happen to um Freddy's Dead. I forgot the name of this movie for a second. That's how much I um, want to scrub it from my brain. In fact, I hated Freddy's Dead so much that I re-watched Dream Child after to wipe the taste of Freddy's Dead wow. out of my mouth. You might be the first person to ever do that. It's... Yeah, probably. You watch which one? Okay. <laughs> you, you meant Trial, not, not Warriors, right? Yeah. Yes, I, I watched Dream <laughs> Child twice in 24 hours. I I'm sure someone has done it before because someone's done everything. I'm sure there is someone out there who genuinely thinks Dream Child is the best of the Nightmare movies, you know, and it's their five-star film. That's not me, but I did watch it because it's significantly better than Freddy's Dead. You know, every time I go down to it, I'm like, maybe this is the time. Nope. Nope. I mean, I'm willing to come back to Freddy's Dead in a few years (laughs) and see if I feel differently. And I'm going to force Juno to come back to a new beginning eventually and double feature night, you guys. I will, I will watch it again for you and for the pod. But now you, now that you, that movie has hit you in the face, you can come to and you can see it for what it is now. Yes. I am watching it with both eyes open and I do feel like, okay, here's some context. 
for listeners and for Brandon. Last week, I had a hell week in terms of work to do. So then watching any movies was just a lot because I was like, I don't have time. This week, I had even more work to do. And the fact that watching movies felt like reprieve, even though I was doing it instead of taking exams, I feel like is exactly indicative of my opinion on these films. Like last week when I needed a break, I felt like I was punishing myself. This week when I did not have time to take a break, I was like, I'm living lavish and luxe. Like, this is awesome. I get to watch these dumbass movies. Admittedly, it took me like three hours to watch this 90 minute movie because it was not good, but I did finish it. I did get through it. And I didn't want to die like I did after I watched A New Beginning. And Derek knows that. I hated that movie. I it's, it was so aggressive. You're going to love it one day. You're going to love it. Just keep keep going back to it. To keep returning. That, keep returning. Sure. It's one of the movies that, oh, you know. So the other movie we watched that we really did not like that I think we might be wrong about. And I've told Juno about this. We were both going through it. When we watched it, uh, it was not a great time personally for either of us. We really hated the howling. And so that's one where I'm like, as a person in a better mental state than I was in October, I can recognize that maybe we should give the howling another try because I don't know that we um, came to it in the right way and do I think we'll like fall in love with it no but I do think if we were to genuinely like try and watch the howling just as it is we probably come away much more positive it's it's all right what we gotta go do is go to the howling Two: your sister is a werewolf because that movie is nutty so and I've heard. I also Chris, Christopher Lee who took the role because he passed on Halloween. So he took this. He's like, I'm not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> no. I I will say I also want to watch um, three the marsupials because I'm <laughs> the idea of kangaroo werewolves is yeah. so interesting to me. It's a and weird series. It's a weird it is. Series. It's weird that it's a weird. It's weird that that series has eight entries. <laughs> but a brand does. name, yeah. Um, the same that's the same number of movies that the Nightmare uh, series has. Well, it is when you do it by our counting and you don't count Freddy versus Jason as a nightmare movie and only as a Friday movie. <laughs> but it's kind of more of a to me, it was a nightmare in Elm Street with special guest star Jason Voorhees, is how it kind of plays Re- out because I feel the opposite. It feels like a Friday movie to me that Freddy pops in and out of. Gotcha. Well, yeah. I, I mean, he goes to, like, Jason goes to Elm Street. It's got more of the Elm Street music and vibe and stuff with the kids. It does. And it has, yet, the kills are all Jason. But Jay, because Jason does literally all of the kills all except one. for one in Freddy versus Jason. And there are upwards of 40 kills in that movie. Yeah. So, it, yeah. Because Jason is more of a presence. But we're not talking about Freddy versus Jason right now. We're just skipping ahead because. Um, that's a movie that I find entertainment value in, even if I don't think it's good. It's a no, it's a it's a party movie. Like, so it, I mean, not meant to be taken seriously, right? Um, but this movie, yeah. Um, other good things. I mean, it it has interesting ideas. The, oh, it also has one of the most horrifying setups for a movie ever, which is a town where all of the children have been murdered. Right. 
right and all the people are weird and like you get roseanne and <laughs> roseanne Barr and tom arnold who that was a they wanted to be in the movie and uh, and then the guy the the school the welcome to freddy 101 and i'm gonna explain oh bullshit so on the blackboard i don't know if either of you guys caught this but it says 1945 um Hirosh- uh, hiroshima and nagasaki attempts fail <laughs> okay so it's unclear whether they mean um the bombs didn't work or probably more horrifyingly the bombs worked and it didn't deter japan from being in the war and meaning world war ii went on a lot longer in this universe hmm. so that's a fun little um extra for all you kids at home um yeah, he is doing this weird rhyme. A fourteen, what he starts in fourteen ninety two or three or something. Yeah, Freddie fourteen ninety three. Freddie traveled out to sea or something like that. Yeah, fourteen ninety four. Freddie came back. Freddie came more. back. You win more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's a, a funny tidbit, more so for your next one, but uh, so like when Wes Craven did Wes Craven's New Nightmare, he was somewhere after the movie came out, um, and he ran into Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp was like, Hey, I, I saw your movie. Really liked what you did. Well, why did I saw a lot of people? Why didn't you ask me to be in it? And he's like, oh, I didn't think you'd want to do it. He goes, I came back for Freddie's dead. It's true. Johnny Depp does come back for this movie. He's I like, love the cameo. I, I came back for your movie. Again. I was like, Oh, Hey. Yeah. Um, although I don't know the implications of killing Johnny Depp off in a movie, <laughs> like as actor, Johnny Depp, that's, changed the face of Hollywood for the next 20 something years for sure um but yeah <laughs> this is your brain this is your brain on drugs this looks like an egg in a fry pan <laughs> we love I mean that is a that's a fun bit also Alice Cooper playing Freddie's dad like what's that about <laughs> uh, they wanted i mean i think they had a connection to him and well he did say he said that he would only play it if he looked as non-alice cooper as he could be but i mean you got your freddie and jason connections right here because he's in this one and he did the does the song for yes. uh, he's jason back Liz. the man behind the mask and he also stars in john song. carpenter's prince of darkness so it's maybe yes. a little halloween touch because carpenter <laughs> did that so he hit the trifecta but yeah he was asked to be in this because they were trying to go big with cameos as they could and just, you know, go all out for yeah. Freddy's last hurrah, which wasn't his last hurrah, but. Well, I mean, in some ways it is. In some ways it is. Yeah, it's the last true nightmare movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Where do you think, were... do you think Jason, Freddy versus Jason takes place before this or after this? After it, it explicitly after. takes place after. So. Yeah. Because the end of Jason goes to hell, spoiler alert, well, I won't spoil this for Juno, but like the end of Jason Goes to Hell confirms that that movie takes place right. after this one, which we also know because that movie takes place in 2003. Right. Um, <laughs> because, which is weird because this is an indeterminate weird future. So, so like, right. Yeah. Assuming that all the Nightmare movies up to this one take place in the year they were released. Right. This movie takes place 10 years after Dream Child. Gotcha. So 1999 gotcha i always thought i always thought like that as you did and this time i watched i'm like hmm, i wonder if this future-ish but but like the opening of freddy versus jason is freddy talking about how he needs jason to help him get resurrected 
Gotcha. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. I haven't watched Freddy versus Jason in a bit, but um, that part yeah. of it is very good. And the Jason, the Jason timeline is because the <laughs> new blood, which you're about to watch, that's like 1998. If you take that timeline or something. Well, like. yes, because Jason Takes Manhattan takes place in 2000. Yeah. It was released in 1990. And then Jason Goes to Hell takes place in 2003. It was released in like 1992. Like that that franchise is constantly pushing the boundaries of future. They even have to backdate the first one from where it really took place when it came out. Like they were like, well, actually it could have been when they shot it. Or it's it's weird how they've construct this i just watch him as movies and fine movie year is moved five years but if you go see what the fans have done to construct the timeline that works that nobody making these movies cared about nobody making it it's true but i mean it's interesting because two three and four take place over like a weekend and then every movie after that is like 10 years later four years later (laughs) wild but we don't really have that problem with the friday movies with this one tiny instance mm-hmm. of kind of continuity like hmm but also it's like so does that mean like he killed alice and jacob and yvonne i know there are some comics out there that where they just left springwood um so he couldn't get to them but it does have some implications some weird implications and the scene where the teens are wandering around that carnival and Roseanne Barr comes up and it's like, it's been so long since we've had children and this time I'll protect you better so he can't get you. And then Tom Arnold comes over and like shakes her and it's like, they bring ham. (laughs) And then she's just like, I just want my children back. It's so dark, but so dumb. It can't take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I love Ethel. And the fact that her, like... Oh, her name her, is like, Ethel. Shut up. <laughs> she's like, come on. And she's just, like, like honking their noses and, like, squishing their cheeks. And the, that these, like, teens that could very well just, like, muscle their way out of the situation and just, like, letting her touch them is so funny to me. Because that's exactly what it feels like when random people walk up to you. I'm just like, yeah, okay, do whatever, literally whatever you want. I'll leave when I'm ready. Now... This movie, after um, a dream child kind of backed off the abusive parents thing, came back full force with um, the maybe the creepiest, uh, worst parents that we've seen in the series. So including Freddie himself. Including Freddie himself. Um, so we have Freddie. Other than Freddie, though, we have Freddie's dad, who is also yeah, <laughs> Freddie's dad, Alice Cooper. Um, and then we have, um, Carlos's mom and what was the stoner guy's name? It was Brecken Myers, the actor, but Brecken uh, Meyer, Spencer. Thank you. Spencer, I, was, yeah, okay. I, I, I was like, I know it's Brecken Meyer, but who is he? Yeah. Spencer's dad, who's kind of just an asshole, but I mean, sending your son to like a halfway house because he smokes weed. I mean, that's not the sign of great parenting. I don't know about you guys. Oh, he doesn't want to be involved in parenting because he's like, why aren't you supposed to fix it? Like, no, you have to be involved in any kind of repair. Like, he's expecting, like, just, he's the kind of guy, nothing's going the way he wants it, so he dumps his kid off there and he's like, do stuff. Well, we have the very heavy-handed, be like me, be like me, in the video game section. Well, I really like Spencer's line. It's like, uh, oh, I read it. Uh, 
frankly, I don't feel like playing football and date raping co-eds. And I was oh, like, yeah. that's hell of Spencer. That's yeah. good. And it's it a hell shows, of a line. Yeah. It's promise. This movie has very fleeting moments of promise that it just never can capitalize on. And so then, of course, I already mentioned Carlos's mother, um, but I wanted to get her next because she feels like the next step up from Spencer's dad. And she's a piece of work. I mean, so it's funny. The scene starts and um, like she inserts the Q-tip into his ear, right? But when it's just normally, I had like an almost like, like had to fan myself reaction. I was like, oh yeah, I could go for a Q-tip in the ear right now. <laughs> and then um, of course, then it gets bad when yeah. she when she sticks it through and i was so confused what popped out of his ear but it was his hearing aid yeah <laughs> so when she so and then she pulls it back out and was like blood and brain matter like that's not great like that's horrible and also when he's screaming at her beforehand he's like i don't want to be deaf that was like oh buddy <laughs> but of course um and then we have freddie I guess Maggie with Freddie as her father. I mean, that's not great. The whole I won't tell thing, even if that line is delivered weird by everyone who says it. <laughs> um, and then you have Freddie and his father um, with that whole scene. And then Freddie being like into it, which I mean, we'll, we'll move past that for my sake. And then we have, um, <laughs> of course, to top it all off, we have Tracy and her dad. And that whole scene, I mean, did it feel amazing to see her go ham on him? Yes. But it also felt like it came really late in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, that felt like a scene that should have happened at the Elm Street house. Yeah, it feels like they maybe decided a little late in the production that maybe we want to keep her around longer for the finale. Right. Like, and... it felt like Tracy almost was going to get killed off with the two boys in the Elm Street house, and then she just does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do like how John gets her to put him to sleep, though. I did laugh. Yeah. That's the one actually kind of funny moment is when he, she's like, Doc taught me this other way. And he's like, there's no time. So he slaps her and then she punches him in the face, sending him through a table. Yes. <laughs> that was. Yeah. I, I was just thinking, per, per, perhaps Leslie Dean, they realized they were going to have two adults in the finale and they're like we need a kid presence to kind of add to this right to, to make audience. it feel like a nightmare movie yeah for an audience because you're escaping what the whole series was in the finale if you don't have some sort of teen you're escaping what the whole series was anyways because true. our protagonist is of a grown woman like I, our true protagonist right yes in the film she is in reality when they were filming this she and the uh, and tracy are only two years apart like they are yeah. really close in age. And I think maybe this is just a product of like the era that these movies were made in, but all of the actors always look so old. Like they all look like full adults, except for young, young Maggie, who was a literal child. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like kind of like the Hitchcock's North, what North by Northwest, Cary Grant was like, and the woman who played his mother were only two years apart. <laughs> so like, it's kind of that, well, you guys yeah, can pass. Crazy the Wolfman too like there's just you can cast older actors or younger actors you don't have to cast middle-aged people all the time like they don't have to be 20. it's um people who are 20 are not middle-aged you know 
Um, that was poorly phrased. They don't. Your middle-aged characters don't have to be played by twenty-year-olds. Oh, sure. And your twenty-year-olds don't have to be played by middle-aged people. Yes, like, that yeah, I understand now. We'll put her in a power suit and her in some denim and stuff and flannel, and they'll look different. I will say, <laughs> I fully bought Lisa Zane as like a forty-year-old. She does play. She does work as a decently older. Like, I was like, yeah, this. I was like, fully like, yeah, this woman is a middle-aged, like, well into her career woman. Also, wild that Billy Zane's sister is the star of this movie. Yeah, and actually because i remembered her i remembered her acting being not good but for the first like 20 minutes or so before they go back to springfield i was like oh i guess i was wrong because all of her line deliveries make sense and then they go back to springwood and nothing makes sense anymore very few characters deliver their lines as any sort of human um Doc being like the notable exception who does all of his lines in in ways that make sense because it feels like Yafit Kodo is just the best actor in the movie. The teens particularly scream at times when it does not make sense for them to be shouting their lines. John Doe has it especially bad where his line deliveries don't make sense, but Tracy does it a lot too. Yeah, they're not really good with heightened intensity and confusion. That t- seems to be where if they if they're just doing normal teen stuff, which is you know before they get to Springwood, they're they're pretty fine. But everybody after that, just except John Doe, he comes in hot the whole movie and doesn't leave till he dies. Right. Just all of the inflection and like the words that seem like they're the most important coming out of their mouths are just like one word off. Like every single time John Doe yells. The like peak of his scream is just a little bit ahead or behind of when I feel like it should be. So I'm like, do you think they made the actors like do it over and over again, or were they like, this is fine? Like, it's possible. I want to be weird. It's possible that they just chose bad takes every single time. Mm-hmm. It's also possible that these were the best takes they got. <laughs> I think both are equally possible. Um, the one line that sticks out in my head from John Doe is, of course. Um, the one where he's in the padded cell and he screams about like um, wake up I'm your fucking memory but the fucking doesn't make sense in the sentence I mean it makes sense if you read it but the way he delivers it it feels so forced it feels like hmm this feels not how people like insert swear words into their sentences as someone who inserts many swear words into many sentences didn't come off as true for me. I'm also surprised, and maybe this is just because last week in A New Beginning, we got someone saying it. I'm surprised that Freddy, in this movie particularly, which is all about him and his child, never said cunt. I was, it was just like um, <laughs> in the Black Christmas remake, the 2019 one, when Juno and, we, Juno and I saw that in theaters together. And the whole time I kept turning to her and I was like, do you think they're going to say the C word? Do you think they're going to say it? And it really <laughs> felt like they were going to, and they never did. That kind of vibe came to me during this movie where I was like, it feels like he's going to let it slip at one point or another, but he doesn't. I mean, Will he later refer to Kelly Rowland as dark meat? Yes. Yes. But he never does that, which is so interesting. Especially in this one where he has like 
a, a like a bitch wife or you know that kind of trope of a guy who really hates his wife i'm surprised he didn't let it loose on her yeah he, he also doesn't make any sort of like i mean considering the times where they were in stuff he doesn't make any uh racially insensitive jokes towards carlos either so right or um well, I was going to say, he doesn't... <laughs> I forgot that, like, Freddie plays her dad in that scene. And I was going to like, he doesn't do anything creepy to Tracy about her dad, but he does. <laughs> um, yeah, do you know, which, <laughs> which of Freddie's interactions with these teens make you the most uncomfortable? Let's say as Freddie himself, not when he's pretending to be someone else. Mm, that's a good question. In this movie specifically? In this movie specifically. Okay. Freddie's dead. What makes me the most uncomfortable? In terms of like most frustrated, I feel like I really hated the his treatment of Carlos because it just felt like <laughs> so I don't I mean I don't want to say it felt so mean because all of his kills are mean, right? Like he's just an asshole. But like dropping like a single pin and then like 50 pins, I was like damn like you're really putting him through it after making him deaf and then super strong hearing like that just feels explicitly cruel the rest of the time i just sort of was like oh yeah freddie's just being a dumbass but yeah and maybe that's where this my frustration comes in because like freddie's just being a dumbass i feel like this movie was so focused on it being like the like end of Freddy's series that like they sort of like you can do whatever you want like none of these kills really matter none of the stuff that's going on matters because this is the end so then everything else sort of was just like well I don't like you clearly aren't in it to win it like it just it's death so that the movie has filler right and really most of the movie except for the flashback stuff in the end like 15 minutes feels like filler because like what's the point of John Doe really aside to be from a red herring which the series has already done so that's kind of pointless um well, he also has done all the research for all the new stuff that we get delivered but we still get exposited in scenes when they go to Springwood and then the flashbacks so right but it feels like this could have just been a journey Maggie took on her own yeah John, it starts happening to the kids and her you know yeah i feel like there there could have been a cleaner way in i think mm-hmm. also while the gag visual gag works when john is kicked out of springfield or spring not springfield springwood and he has the cartoon cutout um in like the barrier to springwood while it works as a visual gag, that's really the first sign you have in this movie that like, oh, it's all going to be like this, isn't it? And it is. It, up to Freddy's last line when he's just like, kids, which would be so much funnier if everything else in this movie hadn't been what it was. Mm-hmm. Also, the dream demon stuff, like, <laughs> What? I mean, it it works as exposition, but it feels unnecessary. You gotta explain why Freddy is how Freddy is. That's the that's the stupid. I'm thing. cool with that in theory because I think there is a good origin story for Freddy somewhere in the ideas they float around in this movie. 
but it's so silly <laughs> and like everything else it's goofy like it's stupid mm -hmm. so that's that's really the unfortunate thing it would have been so much more interesting if this movie had been like half prequel half like sequel where they'd really gone in on like kid freddy and used like a parallel of him and maggie and really focused on those two stories that would have i think been more interesting i'm acting like i had any power over the writing of this movie right. i didn't i was negative eight years old when this movie came out but um if I were writing this movie today, that's something I would at least consider. Um, also, unfortunately, it has to be said, Juno and I had talked about this beforehand, the teens aren't hot enough in this movie. <laughs> They're not. And it's just... Uh, Leslie Zane's probably the most attractive of everybody in there by de <laughs> some default. Like Right. And with her, I, I, I don't care how attractive or not she is because it would feel weird to project anything onto her because of how her character is um but everyone else in the movie it's like i don't want to watch normal people get like stalked by freddy i mean robert england's gonna be in like the top five like that's where you're <laughs> going there yeah as freddy robert england as freddy <laughs> is towards the top half of this cast roseanne Barr probably makes it into the top five of this cast in terms of attractive oh, wait, johnny depp shows up he's attractive so yeah like... so like three three of them aren't even like characters like <laughs> so that's never a good sign um and you know we kind of have it with dream child but at least dream child has dan and alice um, alice and was Greta. one of my crushes growing up and she's one of two elm street people that have gotten me to go to like a convention to say hi i'm really weird with like celebrity stuff because i'm like what am i gonna say to them whatever i i went to one to meet lisa wilcox did it and the other mm -hmm. person was mark patton that I went to, ah. to meet when he when he resurfaced out of nowhere. I'm like, I'm not. You mean when he resurfaced this. like two years ago? Well, it was it was this well, was 2010. This is 2010. Okay, I met Mark Patton yeah, and I sense. talked to him for like an hour and a half, and we like became Facebook friends and like he wow. just, yeah, like it was He's... really this was this is before the Scream Queen doc and stuff. Yeah. This is when he first they found him for the documentary that hadn't come out yet, Never Sleep Again. But he started doing mm. conventions. And I was like, no bullshit, they have this guy. He has been missing for years. And I went. Right. And he, yeah. He ran off to Mexico. Yeah. He's like a really awesome, like, uncle in person and like just really p positive, supportive guy. And yeah, like. It's funny because those are also two people that I would love to meet. Um, I mean, like, Lisa Wilcox, I follow her on Instagram. I mean, She's I follow. She's a vampire. She's a vampire. Like, <laughs> I swear. She has not. She looks almost better now than when she was back then but yeah like she just seems really cool um and like well part of my respect for her is i don't um i think it's called the quiet room the short film on shutter um mm -hmm. directed by sam Weinman, and it was like his thesis film and he had like emailed her to be in it and then she read the script and was in it um which is really awesome of her it reminds me of how like harry manfredini will score friday the 13th fan movies um, for free which is mm -hmm. cool of him and um, of the nightmare people actually those are probably those two and Heather Langenkamp are like would be who I would want to uh, yeah. meet other than well 1986 uh, Ira Hayden is also up there for me there but that go. doesn't seem possible so 
I'll tell you this. She, Lisa is really pretty genuine. Like my meeting with her wasn't as great as like Mark Patton. Um, but uh, I went to one and this is when they started becoming a little bit more money hungry with the conventions. Like you used to be able sure. to go and get just whatever. And I went to one expecting it to be like that. And it was not. And uh, I went to her table or whatever. She was there by herself at the time. And I was like, Hey, uh, you know, and talked to her a bit, uh, praise dream child to her. Uh, but you know, I wanted a picture and she goes, you don't want an autograph. I'm like, I'm not an autograph person or whatever. But I was like, Oh, and she's like, I don't have a rate for that. And she's like, my autograph. she says, I usually take a picture with my autograph, but she's like, how's it do you have like a five on you because her rate was like 25 or something like i i, I have a five she goes give me the five they're gonna wonder where my if they someone sees me doing this they're gonna come ask about money so if i have the five i'll just say oh i i went and bought myself lunch with money from the thing so we'll just do that so it's like I had to give her a five though she wanted to do it for free but that was how it was so she did that and got a picture with old lisa so yeah, oh, but, yeah really... she's really nice but yeah Definitely, Elm Street people are cool people from my experience. Well, I, honestly, I think meeting anyone from any of these franchises mm -hmm. would be cool. I mean, my personal dream, even though so many people have passed away, would be to meet um, Texas Chainsaw people because, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my favorite horror movie. Um, it's in my top three movies um, overall. Um, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is also up there for me. I think it's a perfect movie. That movie is amazing. I, um, yeah. I think they make a really great duology. Right. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the series is wildly varied in quality. I will say Texas Chainsaw, The Next Generation, massively entertaining movie. Doesn't make any sense, but unlike this movie, <laughs> the bits that people do are actually kind of funny. So it has at least entertainment value for me. Would I put it in the top half of the series? absolutely not but it's at least watchable <laughs> and um this series is interesting because i don't hold it in as high esteem as i do the texas chainsaw even though it's mostly just those first two movies but like i have a respect for more movies in this franchise than i do for like the texas chainsaw franchise because i really feel like the first five movies and then number seven are really really great horror movies like it's a great story um it's really they all have interesting different aesthetics and different themes uh, while all kind of playing into the same narrative of um children in trouble and so it's interesting that i've never really thought of this franchise until this rewatch as like a great series but it really is mm -hmm. yeah definitely has the best like through line it keeps pushing and even when you add new nightmare on top of it and freddy versus jason it still holds pretty strong in a narrative and doesn't jump ship as quickly as others and people will say like oh two was just depart two is not a departure it was the second movie they didn't know the rules of three and four and five mm -hmm. and it makes sense. Freddie was in the dream world in the last one. He wants to come into the real place. Like it's the, the the things people have said against right. two over the years. Like I said, I'm happy people have come around it, but it's like, dude, you can't hold what came after it against it. Like you have to see two. Right. Only only one is true when you watch part two. Like that's it. <laughs> we talked about how a lot of people, I think, 
come into two with the expectations of three, four, five already in their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they come to two and they're like, well, this doesn't fit. And it's like, well, yeah, because it wasn't real yet. Um, yeah. I, I do feel like yeah. watching them like in the appropriate order has like given me fun insight like watching people interact online about the nightmare series like people are so opinionated and like opinions vary so wildly and so like coming into these movies and being like i don't know how i feel i don't you know i've never seen these before and then having my own really strong opinions that are so different from like really vocal people online it's like fun and quirky but also hard to talk about (laughs) yeah sure well i think we've come to that time uh for favorite kills and then preferred movie um so juno why don't you go first this week what's your favorite kill from dream child and the freddy's dead okay favorite kill from dream child is um, i liked mark's death i thought that was cool i liked when he got superpowers it seemed so fun um, but honestly, all of those, Derek and I were talking about this. I think I would rank all of those deaths from, all of the deaths from Dream Child pretty equally. I like them all. Um, and then my favorite death from Freddy's Dead. Mm, I feel like I have to give it to Carlos. Head stuff really gets to me. I, you know, I'm a sucker for a Q-tip, but like through the head and then losing an ear and then having things grow on his ear. It was just, it was a hard watch and I really enjoyed it. And then obviously I think it's pretty clear that I liked Dream Child significantly more because I thought it was good. <laughs> right. And Brandon, what about you? Uh, favorite kill from Dream Child is uh, probably Greta. It's just gross looking. And then you get to include the uh, stop motion fridge, everything rotting in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just got the weird dinner table angles and the mean mother and stuff and Freddie and the waiter for this fine, but I, I do think, uh, well, no, I one kill. There we go. Uh, and then Freddie's dead. It's Carlos because it's just a fun sequence and just ah makes you the Q-tip going through the ear and then the all the stuff he does to him, just well set up. Uh, and then yeah, of course, movie is Dream Child, no question. Yes, my favorite kill in Dream Child is also Greta who I like as a character a lot. And I can't believe I didn't bring this up once, but I think Greta's great. And I think it's a great performance. And I'm obsessed with the vocal fry she's doing for like all of her lines. And she's talking like this, like the whole time. Great. Um, uh, of course, I'm like, man, I wish we could have gotten the even gorier, disgusting version of this. But the whole scene is really great. Like you have your, her mother... And it's not exactly clear how much of it is like in the real world and in the dream world. I mean, if you went through, like, yes. But the transition is so smooth that it's really cool that her and her mother have this argument that keeps growing until it kills Greta. Um, And then Freddy's dead. It should be Freddy. I want (laughs) to say that right now. It should be Freddy, but it can't be Freddy. Um so because his death goes on for too long (laughs) they throw too many things at him and it's ridiculous just like the movie so i'm gonna also say carlos because the head explosion is great um and that's really 
that's yeah um the spiked bed wily e. coyote in the middle of the road with john doe is a little too much for me so yeah and then obviously my preferred movie is dream child <laughs> i don't think i could have made it more obvious <laughs> and how differently i feel about the movies yay brandon that was so fun thank you for being here uh, where can we find you do you have anything to plug any projects podcasts social media yeah yeah you can find me every week on the brandon peters show which uh, you can go to brandonpetershow.com or anywhere podcasts are found uh it's a podcast my it's a kind of a podcast youtube experience where you're getting some kind of content for me content uh, entertainment for me uh every every day of the week uh whereas monday i usually have a guest and somebody somebody from entertainment world or something and we talk about them we talk about a uh, usually i have an odd favorite or something that a film that inspired them for a bit tuesdays i do a little blu-ray segment with my review copies and stuff from why so blue which you can check out my blu-ray reviews there uh, then i have other segments too which caps friday with a uh, music video review from a classic from either typically 80s or 90s or the oos uh, music videos that we just kind of look back at and talk about to end the week off and yeah you can find that there i do have a bunch of pieces i wrote about nightmare on elm street i don't know how many years ago on my old blog naptown nerd which is uh, naptownnerd.blogspot.com it was called a november on elm street and i have my favorite kills there i have a piece on each one and i believe i do a, a little uh, r.i.p piece on my favorite character that might have got killed in each one and there's a couple guest pieces in there too i did it with halloween as well uh you can find that and i'm not going to stand by my writing because i might look back and go or why did i say that but if you're interested more in me and elm street you can go find that there but yeah that's my plug with a lot of my bowl stuff Right. Uh, as always, I am Derek Spooks on Instagram, at Derek Sykes 17 on Twitter, and at Derek Sykes no 17 on Letterboxd. Uh, I spent so long saying the 17 at the end of my Letterboxd username, and it has never been there. It's just at Derek Sykes, just my name on Letterboxd. Uh, I do fun stuff on there like we all do, like um, my review of The Dark and the Wicked was just like this was indeed dark and wicked so check that out it's really fun um and then i am juno underscore b on instagram and juno b with an extra e on twitter next week we are talking about um jason goes to hell and jason x i think um because we're recording these episodes out of order uh so i think the one that comes next because we do two fridays back to back so the next um episode will be jason goes to hell and jason x with returning guest d amaker aka ghost d so we're super excited to have her back um until then for now on dream child and freddy's dead that's it